0: Do you know why a chili can never use a bow? He doesn't have an arrow. Oh, yeah.
1: His <laughs> sister sent me that one. It was a good one.
0: <laughs> Close enough. So, I found out something very interesting today about our country that I knew, but I never really quite connected the dots. Do you know, know that we're not a democracy? we're a republic. So a democracy is majority rules or mob rule rules. Uh, In a republic individual rights of property and the pursuit of happiness trump majority mobs. The reason that's important is because it is obviously evident in today's society that you have the left coast and the left coast and so you've got California, and you have New York and all of them that have very radical ideas that are contrary to the Constitution, and they make up a very large percentage of the populace because they're more uh, dense populations. So the Founders framed our country as a republic to give us as much protection from that very real possibility. And so now you have, if they do away with the Electoral College and other things, then it'll be mob rule. And that's what they're trying to do. So that's why you had people like Antifa and Black Lives Matter causing as much damage to cities, etc., to scare the people to not go out and vote. And so we have to understand that we've never been a democracy. We've always been a republic. Isn't that interesting? So, I thought I'd just start off with that little tidbit because I thought that was fascinating and I'm going to research it even more. Uh, So, we're going to start in verses 11 through uh, 13 in Hebrews chapter 5 uh, in the Passion Translation. I'll have quite a bit out of the uh, English Standard Version as well. But let's start here where it says, now, we kind of, he touched a little bit uh, on the order of Melchizedek, and he wanted to go even deeper. And so you can kind of feel some of his frustration of not being able to go deeper. Uh, and by frustration, I don't mean you know in, in any ungodly way. It was just that he had so much he wanted to share with them, especially about Melchizedek. Now, what interests me about the fact that he wanted to go deeper into Melchizedek is there's obvious a reason to go deeper. There's, you know, something there that's very important for us to understand. But thanks to the good old Hebrews, he didn't. (laughs) So I'm a little bit irritated about that. I have to have a conversation when we all meet. It says, we have much to say about this topic, although it is difficult to explain. He's referring to Melchizedek. Because you have become too dull and sluggish to understand. For you should already be professors instructing others by now, but instead... You need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You're like children still needing milk and not yet ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet, now this is important, pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Pierced by the revelation of righteousness, which we're going to dig in. But that is the key. Now, what this shows me is the majority of the American church is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Now, you guys already know what I'm talking about, but when you have Christians decades later still in the same spiritual condition that they were when they were first born again, if not worse, then they've not yet been pierced by the revelation of righteousness. The revelation of righteousness is the condition, the basic revelation you have to have in order to go beyond the beginning. Okay? So, I think, like your revelation of purple rain, it as more and more ministers understand the doctrine of righteousness in its original intent, as that begins to begins to occur, then Christians are going to come into the state of maturity that is required before the Lord returns. It's absolutely required. Because he said in Ephesians 11 through, I think, maybe 14, 15, that he is not going to return until the body of Christ is to the full stature of what? Jesus Christ. So as he was on the earth so are we. It also says in Acts 3, 20, I believe 21, that he is in heaven until the restoration of all things. So, we're going to dive into that again, but it's just, it it really is, okay, so if Paul could get the revelation of Melchizedek, and he had it, but he couldn't share it on the level that he wanted to share it, then that means we can get the revelation of Melchizedek. We don't have to relegate it or regulate it or whatever you want to say to when we get to heaven to finally understand it because all the revelation that Paul got was by the same Spirit that dwells in us and he read the same word. Is there an emergency? Okay. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us and my prayer is that by the time we get uh, through Hebrews, we will have an understanding, which my main question is, was he a pre-incarnate appearance, at theophany, of Jesus Christ? Or was he a totally separate man, right, that we can gain revelation either way from for today? So, anyway, or maybe he just went into the whole priestly order, not necessarily his origin. I think he probably went to his origin. Now, the phrase difficult to explain in referring to Melchizedek is very interesting In the commentary of the Passion Translation, the Aramaic can be translated, we have so much more to say about Melchizedek, but his manifestation overwhelms us and makes it difficult to explain. Now, that's a very interesting phrase. His manifestation overwhelms us. I wonder if that's um, uh, uh, apocalypto. Uh, which is the unveiling? It's where we get apocalypse. This is a revelation, or is a manifestation, a theophany? That's another Greek word uh, for manifestation. Hmm. I wonder what the Aramaic is there. Jorina, can you either text me or write down to remind me to see if I can figure out is the word manifestation in the Aramaic? uh Theophany or um. A-P-O-K-U-L-P-T-O is the word. Okay, so the reason that Paul cannot dive into this topic is because it become too dull and sluggish. I want to break down the meaning of these words. The first one is dull, and it's an idiom, idiom literally meaning lazy as to one's ears. I thought that was interesting. Lazy as to one's ears. It means to be slow to understand with the implication of laziness. It also means slothful and sluggish. According to the dictionary, lazy, lazy is adverse or averse or uh, disinclined to work, activity, or exertion. It also means indolent. And indolent is basically um, a, a synonym for lazy. But this is interesting. In pathology or the medical field, it's, quote, causing little or no pain. And active, or relatively benign. So what this is saying is they had become dull because they didn't want to put forth the exertion to get that word and study the word, to understand what God was saying. So they wanted as little pain, as little activity. Basically, they were just trying to get by until they either died or or the Lord returned. There was no more uh, passion and zeal to pursue the Lord, to know Him better. So a heart that doesn't want to put forth effort is a sin. It is a sinful heart. that uh, We should always be putting forth effort to know the Lord more. So that's one of the symptoms that we need to be aware of. Because if you're not progressing forward, you're regressing backward. There is no stop. There is no skating by. There is no on the coattails. You're either all in or you're all out. And by the way, that whole, um, you know, lukewarm, God would rather have you mm-hmm. hot or cold, that's not referring to hot as in or zeal versus cold that you don't feel anything. It's a reference to the two water sources that Laodicea was in between. Laodicea had lukewarm water because it had to travel very far in an aqueduct. The hot waters were in Hierapolis, and they were healing waters. That's where uh, people would go. And then in uh, 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 the Colossian area, what was there were very cold waters. So he's saying, I want you passionate, or I want you refreshing. I don't want you in between, because lukewarm water causes nausea. So if you don't get hot, if you don't get cold, I'm going to vomit you up. In other words, God is saying, if you're lukewarm, if you're dull of hearing, if you're not willing to put in the exertion, the work, and the effort to follow Jesus Christ, you make me sick to my stomach. That's a pretty strong indictment, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what he's referring to. And then, this tells me that the root of laziness is a desire to avoid... The, quote, pain and exertion needed to produce change. One of the things that I taught in the vision workshop and then we went really in-depth in the mastermind last week was the teachability index. And it's composed of two things, your willingness to learn and your willingness to change. It's a a times. Your willingness to learn times your willingness to change. If your willingness to learn is a 10, but your willingness to change is a 3, then you've got a 30% chance that you'll change. And so you have to do what is necessary to get both of those at least at a ten, eight, nine, nine, something like that, to where you have an eighty percent more or more chance uh, to achieve your goal. Well,
1: it's just be like exercising and buying all the equipment, buying your membership, being willing to change, but never getting on it.
0: Right. Well, and that's <laughs> yeah. not willing to change. Yeah. I'm you know, there. if you really want something, you have it. So, you kind of need to get rid of the BS mm-hmm. yeah. because if you really wanted it, you'd have it. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one lady mentioned, you know, to, as an example to lose 10 pounds and one of the things Coach Greg, he asked us, he said, have you ever seen a woman that's not been willing to lose 10 pounds? We're all like, no. He said, so that has nothing to do with it. That's easy. It's the willingness to change and the willingness to learn that produces the results. So here you would say that their willingness to learn and their willingness to change was probably 30 percent or less. And so what it did is it caused them to go backwards to where he had to reinforce. But they were actually in even more danger than that, which we'll see uh, I think next week. So the root of laziness It's the desire to avoid pain exertion needed to produce change. And there are a lot of lazy Christians. I mean, I think part of the laziness has been, um, I guess you say, fomented in the church is pastors making the congregation feel like it's not their responsibility to be in the word Uh, or the congregation feeling that the pastor will do it for them so they don't have to worry about it. Whichever way it works, whether it's the chicken or the egg, it doesn't matter. There's just been an environment that's been created. So I've met. I'm sure you guys have met plenty of people who will attend meetings. They'll even pray a lot, but not take the time or effort to really study the Word. So know this: a lot of people will use Christian activities to avoid being in the Word. Ding ding ding. ding even watching everybody else. Even yeah. watching everybody else teach the Word. Mm-hmm. But man, if they were to open up their Bible, but uh, dust and moths might come out. You know, and so nothing will replace knowing the word of God for two reasons. Number one, it's how we live the the life that he's called us to, but also the word is a person. So don't use teachings and activities and prayer meetings and all this stuff and think that you can replace the responsibility to be in the word yourself. So... uh, There's several reasons this can happen. We already discussed one as far as the environment that's been created. But the other is a lot of people don't say because they don't think they can learn. Uh, They think it's a mental application or intelligence application of the word. That doesn't exist. Now, yes, your mind does operate in the function of study by reading and things like that. But studying the word is actually a spiritual exercise. It says even the simple, which is an imbecile, can understand it. Those with a low IQ can understand the word. In fact, is it who is that black guy? Uh, is it Keeves or Reeves? Ke- Keon? or um, he he's been on uh, Sid Roth. And when he got born again, I think his IQ was like uh, an eighty. And he got born again, got spirit filled, and all he did was read the word. And his IQ is now like, I think, 120 or something. So it healed his mind because in the word is wisdom. Jesus Christ has become for us the wisdom of God. It literally brings those things to the level that God has designed us to operate on. So it's not a mental or uh, intelligence application. It's a spiritual practice. That's why Paul then says, For by this time you ought to be teachers or professors, like in the Passion, the word teacher is the exact same word used in Ephesians four eleven, referring to the fivefold function of a teacher. It's from the noun to teach. It means instruct- instructor, master, or teacher. It correlates with the word mathetes, which you know is where we get math. Uh, it is uh, a learner, pupil, or disciple. Every single Christian should be teaching. Every single Christian. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily. Uh, be in front of a bunch of people or a congregation, but there sh- you should have disciples. If you don't have disciples, there's a problem. There should be someone you're instructing, whether it's in the workplace, and you encourage them. And what the scripture says. Or maybe you have a more formal thing where you get together with some people once a week and you all all teach one another. Whatever it is, however it looks like, there should be some form of instruction you're giving to others. Do you have something, Kathy? Yeah, got? No, the
1: mirrors, I like the... The mirror says, uh, well, by now you're in 12, you should have been professors able to teach the rest of the world, but you're still struggling with the ABCs of God's language in Christ. And then this is what I like, the difference between the prophetic shadow... And the real is like that between milk and meat in your diet.
0: That's good.
1: You know, because it says something about prophetic, but we kind of just gloss over it and concentrate on the milk and the meat. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was interesting that that they did the prophetic and the real and the milk and the meat.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and it is finished. mm -hmm. You know? So it's a reality. And it's... When the word becomes a reality in all aspects of your life, that is the gold. When your body reflects Jesus Christ's divine health, when your finances reflects the glory of God, because we know that the first place that the word glory is used is in reference to wealth. That's in uh, Genesis, uh, I think, 30, if I'm not mistaken, where Laban's sons were complaining that Jacob stole their father's wealth or glory. It's kabod. Mm -hmm. So when your money looks like the glory of God, when your marriage looks like the union with Christ and his church, when your friendships look where you're pursuing peace uh, in those at all possible, it's where every aspect of the kingdom of God has taken over your life. That is the indicator that you are a serious student of the word. It's the application where it's reality, not just a prophetic picture of the future. Well, what struck me
1: was, you know, we've been dealing deal with the prophetic aspect mm-hmm. for a while. And how that just is not even on anybody's radar. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, they're talking about, oh, you know, don't be in the meal, you know, you need to get in the meat. But then nobody ever does because they they forget the rest of this.
0: Well, and part of it is because there's been people that have called themselves mm-hmm. prophets. There are no more prophets than the devil. Then you have prophets that have misused their gift by going into homes or a.k.a. churches and pronouncing judgment where, you know, I can tell you one thing. If anybody came into my house to spanked my kid without my permission, they would leave with a totally different idea the next time. You know what I mean? Like, you'll never touch my kid if you if you're not his parent right so then you've got just the weird ones there's weird you know they do weird stuff and weird things and some of it's gone some of it's not mm-hmm. and you have to have discernment prophecy is very practical mm-hmm. now you got to understand that seers will see things and they start sharing and you're all okay you know that's just how seers are Uh, but it should have a prophetic application. Kind of like our first uh, practice, was it the first one or the second, where, you know, the uh, lady on a a horse that basically we decide, what was that little horse with the rainbow tail and everything? My little pony. My little pony. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. You know, because it's just silly. But then the other application was, I see a teddy bear, which was very profound. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, you have to have discernment, right? But I think that, there's a fear of the prophetic that has occurred because Mm -hmm. of misuse and misunderstanding. But you can't just ignore it. Well, no, because it says the only way you're successful Mm -hmm. is if you listen to the prophets. Mm -hmm. Then you have idiots like QAnon that think that they're prophets, and they keep prophesying stuff that doesn't happen. People need to quit listening to people that keep saying these things are going to happen at these dates, and they don't. So there needs to be discernment. But that the... Jesus Christ is, is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus Christ is prophecy, right? So it should always point to him. Now, um, every believer will not be in the fivefold function, obviously, of a teacher, but every believer should be teaching and have disciples. However, in order to have disciples, in order to be able to teach, you cannot be a lazy hearer. You have to save, consume, and devour the word. In Colossians 1 28 through 29, it says, him we proclaim or preach. We preach Christ, right? Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the main thing is Christ is the subject, he's the subject matter, and more than likely. The focus you'll give people is Christ in you. So a lot of the instruction is you have Christ in you. You can heal the sick. You can prophesy. You can say the word. Your marriage can be healed because Holy Spirit is in you. So there's all kinds of things that you can teach, but the main thing is it should be preaching the substance of Christ, not just principles. When you preach and teach, it should be presence. Okay, so presence is imparted in the instruction. And then the passion of this, uh, these two verses, it says Christ is our message. We preach, number one, to awaken hearts. Number two, bring every person into the full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration and passion in ministry to labor with a tireless intensity with this power flowing through me to present to every believer, here it is, the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. That's good. So I love how it says Christ is our message. Why? Because it reveals that studying and teaching are a (coughs) relational activity, not an intellectual activity. You have a face. (laughs) So, <laughs> studying and teaching, teaching is an, a relational activity, yeah. not an intellectual activity. So, of course, your intellect is involved in connecting and understanding what you learn in a way that translates practically into your life. But true understanding and learning is sourced in knowing him and allowing him to teach you him. That's why every time I sit down, show me another aspect of you. I want to see you. I don't want just a message. I want to see you. And so that's why, you know, for twenty-something years, uh, once a week, I get to have an encounter with the Lord. Now, do you have something? Yep. Okay. Say that again. One more time. What? Say which? What? Study is okay. A relational activity and not a intellectual activity. Okay, so in Galatians 1, 11 through 12, in the uh, English Standard Version, it says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me, that the gospel pre- that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 16, it says, That he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, blah, blah, The word, too, that he was uh, pleased to reveal his Son to me is actually in, in the Greek. He was pleased to reveal his Son in me. Now, that's a totally different thing. That's Christ in you, the expectation of glory. So, he revealed, God now dwells, right, in man. So, the word in is, a, a, to me, a, a totally different application. So Christ revealed Christ in Paul so that he could preach Christ. We're always looking mm-hmm. out. You know, every Sunday morning, more than likely, Christ has preached to you, at you. But the Holy Spirit teaches Christ in you. He reveals him. So this is interesting. It also shows... Uh, that true discernment is also relational. So I will recognize Mike's voice, his smell, his stance, and of course his face, unlike anybody else. You can put him anywhere in a room. I can hear voices. I will be able to pick his out, right? It's the same thing with your children. It's the same thing with your friends even. Um, The phrase uh, that Moses saw God face to face literally means uh, emotion to emotion. He could tell by the tone of his voice what he was feeling and thinking. That's what that means. It's a voice thing. So it's the same thing where, uh, you know, you are able to discern his voice because you've discerned him in his word and you've discerned the word in you, right? So the more you know the word, the more you know the tone of his voice. That's why I'm a big, big, you know, I'm pushy when it comes to how did it feel when you heard it, what did it feel like? Because that's his voice. That's how you'll discern it, right? So you're to study Christ. You're to be a student of Christ. Be active, diligent, embrace the pain and exertion needed. Resist lazy hearing as if it's a sin because it is. If you need to set aside two hours a, a week, a week, it, it doesn't matter, an hour twice a week, just to dive into the Word, to ponder it, to understand it. Do it. Uh, If that seems overwhelming, get you a Bible that evokes passion, like the Passion Translation, and just meditate on a verse throughout the day. Ask Him to reveal Christ in you through that verse. And again, the majority of it is going to be in the New Testament, especially the epistles, because like Paul said, you are established on my gospel. That's what Paul said. You are established. What's his gospel? Christ in you. That's why his epistles are so powerful for establishing you in Christ. So not to trump him over in you know, the Lord or anything like that, but when it comes to the establishment of Colossians 1, uh, 28 through 29, it's, it's going to be Paul's. Okay, so let's, let's look back at uh, verses 12 through 13 in Hebrews. We're going to break this down. For you should already be professors instructing others by now, which we've talked about, But instead, you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You, like children, still needing milk and not yet ready to digest solid food. Now, verse uh, 13, for every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Now, in the English Standard Version, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now here's where I want to go. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness <coughs> since he is a child. So verse 12 again shows a spiritual law. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. So it's...
1: In the passion, that word children, mm-hmm. it says, it, the Greek means unfit to bear arms. <coughs>
0: Oh, it does. And I might have this in here. I thought
1: that was interesting that you're just not unfit. there. Bare arms. You're unfit to
0: bear arms. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you put a gun in a child's hands, they're going to cause a lot of damage and probably harm themselves. So for that reason, you can't go into the meat because they'll hurt themselves and others with it. Well, that yeah. And, you're just, they and then they're not this, in the and army. they don't
1: have the strength to bear the weight of some of the weapons. hmm
0: Yeah. So instead of being teachers and going forward, they had to go... He had to go back with them, teach them again the basic principles. Paraphrases are, quote, simple truths about Christ. The word uh, is arche in the Greek. It means beginning. It's the beginning of something, as the beginning of a line, road, and so forth. It's tied to understanding the simple truth about God's message or the good news. The uh, word oracle comes from the word logos or logos, now, Peter later defines the basic principles of God's message, but first he explains that anyone that is unskilled lives on milk or they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. But again, I love the not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. It's a very interesting phrase. I'm like, okay, where did he get this? Because it seems kind of different from, you know, the other translations. So I looked it up myself in the Greek so the word, uh, uh, a p e i r o s means unpierced, okay, and then a means without. P pira means to perforate, pierce through to test the durability of things or experience, to experience something. So Paul then hones in on one specific revelation. And that is righteousness. He's referring to people that have not yet experienced righteousness. Even though they're born again. They've already uh, been born
1: again. This mirror said, everyone who is not pierced in the ear of his heart.
0: Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've heard they hear messages. Remember how I've told you guys where when someone says, Well, I know, I, I know, I know, and mm-hmm. I'm like, No, you don't know. <laughs> You're saying you know to try to Convince me that you do, but I don't need to hear out of your mouth that you know. I can look at your life and see that you don't know because to know is to experience. That's how it works. If you truly know you're righteous, you experience righteousness. That's it. You don't have to try to get righteous. You don't have to try to earn righteousness. You already are. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's the revelation. Because there's no way you would possess the Holy Spirit unless you have been made righteous. Isn't that interesting? So, one specific revelation he's honing in on. Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, in the Passion, it says, For God made the only one, who did not know sin. In other words, he had never experienced it to become sin for us. So that we, who did not know righteousness, might become the righteousness of God. How? Through our union with him. You you can walk into probably any church, walk through the door and say, how do you become righteous? Well, you have to, obviously be born again, you know, maybe get spirit-filled. They leave Holy Spirit, you know, as an option. Um, Then you have to go to church every week, study your Bible, um, manage sin. You can't let, you know, you're fighting two natures, so you just need to make sure you manage that old nature. Uh, You know, make sure that you're talking with other people about the Word. Make sure you read your Bible uh, from end to end every year. Every
1: year.
0: And then you'll be righteous. Now, no one phrases it that way. No one says that's the case because the doctrine doesn't support it. But they make sure you hear that message, right? You're still a sinner. That's what they tell you. But here, I mean, I I think I'm reading this correctly. I mean, y'all could tell me if I'm reading any words incorrectly, but it says that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him Which is why you must be born again. It's not that you're a good person that gets you to heaven. It's the union that gets you to heaven. And the only way you have the union with him is by being born again. So you could actually say we have become God's righteousness. Right? Because simple grammar. Righteousness of God means possession of. God possessed. So we are God's righteousness. We are His righteousness. Jesus became our sin, so we could become His righteousness. It's, you can meditate on that, guys, for the rest of your life, and probably excel in your walk in degrees that you wouldn't any other way. So that's what He's referring to: their the ear of their heart, their intellect may have heard it; their their understanding in their soul may have an agreement to a degree but the ear of their heart has not yet been pierced by the fact you are righteous now. Man, if people could just get that. So, here's the thing. Righteousness, okay, this could be phrased, we might become God's righteousness through our union. It's not that God is righteous because of us. No, it means that his righteousness possesses us, therefore we possess it. And then we demonstrate it uh, outwardly. We are righteous now because of what Christ did. If this revelation doesn't pierce us, we will live as if still sinners and go backwards versus forwards. It's basic. You have to get that. You have to get that one thing. So listen to the commentary of the Passion. It says this one verse is perhaps the greatest verse in the New Testament to describe our salvation through the sinless Savior and his substitutionary death on the cross. He's referring to the 1 Corinthians 5.21. A wonderful divine exchange took place. All, all of our sins were left there. Guilt was removed and forever gone. And we walked away with all of God's righteousness. What bliss is ours. Every believer today possesses a perfect and complete righteousness of Christ. We are seen by the Father as righteous as his Son. So that negates that ridiculous, stupid comment people make. But that was Jesus. It, you disqualify yourself when you're not disqualified. If we knew how righteous we were, our prayers would be infused with confidence, right? Well, what if I sin? Well, 1 John 1 to on into chapter 2 says, if you sin, not when, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. He is faithful if we confess our sin to him to cleanse us from the unrighteousness. So when you sin, you have a, you're have slimed. You have an icky poops, right? So then you confess it to him. He removes icky poops right then. It, it didn't change your original state of being righteous. You just got a little bit of icky poops on you. So he washes it away. He cleans up the mess on aisle six. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. We have a mess on aisle six.
0: Aisle six. Depending what
1: we're the same six.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Clean up on aisle six. <laughs> <laughs> now listen to Ephesians six fourteen through seventeen in the English Standard Version. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on a breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the stupid one, I mean evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, let me give you the history behind what I'm about to teach you. So me and Mike were at an event. Names and places will be withheld. And I was bored to tears because... Number one, it was teaching how to be righteous. And I'm like, I don't need to know how to be righteous because I already am. That's all I need you to teach me. So I was just, you know, kind of, you know, just turning in my Bible, wondering when we're going to get done so we could go eat, go back to the hotel. And I went to Ephesians to look at this verse of the, you know, I'm like, what is this breastplate of righteousness? What is this helmet of salvation? Why is that important? And so the Holy Spirit's like, I want you to look into it. So basically, I went into study mode in the middle of the, the meeting. And the first thing I want to point out, the, the belt of truth is which everything hangs and connects. So if you don't have, right, the belt of truth, pants fall your pants fall off. Yeah. Your breastplate clings around. Yeah. And, you know, so everything hinges <clears throat> on truth. That's very, very important. And by the way, truth is not relative. Truth is truth. There's only one, right? So that's important, but the main idea is the breastplate and the helmet. So the breastplate was a piece of armor, often iron. It covered the body from the neck to the thighs. I didn't know it went down that low. So it goes all the way down to the thighs, And it protects the most vulnerable organs, because that's where they're located, uh, the area of the spiritual heart of each person. And it also had a front and a back. So it also protected that area as well. So this shows us that believing that you, quote, today possess the perfect and complete righteousness of Christ, and that you're, quote, seen by the Father as righteous as his Son, protects the most vital areas of your inner man. And the implication is that if this revelation hasn't pierced you, then you will be pierced by lies that cause you to go backwards. So you're going to be pierced if you do and pierced if you don't. (laughs) So you might as well be pierced if you believe instead of pierced by unbelief and all the lies that happen. You have to know that you're righteous now. Now, the helmet of salvation is a protective armor that covers your thinking, Right. This is accepting the accepting of quote salvation as something like a protection for the head. The word salvation is s o t e r i o s, and it's the message about being saved. Saved from what? Well, many think hell, and that does apply, but it's deeper than that. This word is from soter, and that means one who saves from danger or destruction, and brings into a state of prosperity and happiness. That's salvation. Prosperity of soul. May you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Didn't he say, Receive with meekness the word that is able to save your soul? That's not referring to going to hell or heaven. That's referring to the (coughs) revelation piercing you in your soul. So, and just so that Just so you know, for those that aren't happy and prospering, um, I just want to make sure that you understand that prospering and being happy is actually part of being born again. You don't have to have sour faces, you're not always under the attack of the devil, right? If anything, you've put yourself under the attack of the devil because according to the word, it says that he's under our feet, right? Uh, We have authority over all the dunamis power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt us. We'll trample upon serpents and scorpions, etc., etc. So a lot of Christians are living as if they're still subject to the devil in this world. Therefore, they're unhappy, they're fussy, they're uh, not fun to be around, and some of them are obnoxious and rude. So we're supposed to be happy, and we're supposed to prosper, just in case any didn't know that. Now, many Christians mentally assent, that they do, but they're poor and sad. But salvation is so much more. It it speaks of Jesus as a one who quote saves his people from the guilt and power of sin. That's the whole purpose. It's so it'd be like someone coming into the jewelry store to buy tires. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like we're a jewelry store. If you want the tire store, we can give you several options. It's like people get born again, and they're looking for more confirmation that they're, sin- they're sinful and that they're supposed to be sad, and they shouldn't like themselves because they're messed up, and they're still fighting a dual nature, and blah, 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 blah. It's ridiculous. They're trying to climb a tree backwards. <laughs> it doesn't work. So the whole thing here is that he has saved us from the guilt of, In power of sin, do you know that if you're living in guilt, you are dismissing what Jesus Christ came to do? He never wanted us to stand under guilt, and he never wanted to stand under the power of sin. It's also a salvation from eternal death. The helmet that protects your thinking is a knowledge that you are not only not guilty, you're innocent. And because you are innocent, sin has no power over you. So then what's the problem? Your soul. Just renew your soul. The more you hear the word and your soul comes into agreement, all of a sudden you lay down stuff that's been a plague for years and years and years. All of a sudden you quit doing this, you quit doing that. All of a sudden you're, you're, the Holy Spirit will pierce your consciousness like, oh, I didn't like that. I Forgive me. Cleanse me from icky poops. Clean up on aisle six, however you want to phrase it. And then you move on. There's no guilt, right? Romans 6, 6-12 is a very powerful passage. and One of those that you could study for the rest of your life and probably progress more than the uh, average uh, believer. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Oh, it was? Maybe we should send that memo to a lot of pastors. in order, In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It's, just, it's so ridiculous. Like I can feel the excitement of this every time I read it because I love it, but I can also feel a frustration. And an irritation on leaders that teach people the exact opposite of this. You know the scripture, let not many of you become teachers. Now, again, I'm not referring to y'all having disciples and things like that. But where you're setting the course of doctrine in the church, you better know what you're talking about. Because if you teach the wrong stuff and you actually disempower, you keep uh, believers in sickness and sin, you teach them the opposite of what it says right here, you could go to hell for that. Look at the original Greek. That's exactly what it means because let not many of you become teachers because you will receive a greater condemnation. That word condemnation is hell. You can go to hell. So people that are teaching this stuff that you still, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That's not taught. So that we no longer are enslaved. It no longer has dominion. The one who has died. We have died. We have been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once and for all. That's what it says. Once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must, here it is, verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal mortal body to make you obey its passions. As long as we're in these bodies, we will always have the necessity to guard ourselves against temptation. Always, always. But it doesn't have power over us. Here's where you step into it having power. You ready? It's, it's, it's very simple. The way you step into sin having power over you is when you agree with it. That's it. How can two, right, walk together unless they agree? When you agree that sin has no power over you, that you have been freed from that body, then you walk that way. If you believe that you're still addicted, or if you still believe that you're fearful, or if you still believe that you're angry, or you still believe that you're an adulterer or addicted to sexual sin, whatever it is, if you are in agreement with that, that's what you will live. But according to the Mirror uh, transl- the Bible translation of Romans 12, uh, 2, when you live on that path of thinking you're a sinner, you're actually living contrary to who you really are. You're now wearing a mask you're no longer that person isn't it very interesting most people's problem is who they see god is and who they see they are right there and that's why it's so important for there to be real ministers who preach the real message okay so if all you teach others is what we're talking about today if that's all you disciple people in you will be more effective than most churches that are open every Sunday and every Wednesday evening. Well, not even more because they're cowards and shut down. But for those that are open, you will probably have more of an impact on a city and people than most professional clergy.
1: Huh. And, you know, it's really simple. Is that you can tell somebody that. And then I just, I I asked one lady, I said, Can you look in the mirror and say, You're beautiful? You should, you know... That you're made just exactly the way God's and you love yourself. And she said, I haven't got there yet. And you know, that was just one of
0: those one-sentence, couple yep. sentence questions. They can kick off a exactly. whole experience for them. It's like when you when I gave y'all y'all spiritual intelligence reports, <laughs> you said, There's no way you'd prophesy right. that to yourself.
1: Right. So you think you've got yeah, i right. You think you have a right, and then you read that and you're like I wouldn't have said this to no. myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, let's read this in the Passion. And we're almost done. But I love this stuff. I love the righteousness of Christ stuff because it is so key. What And, you know, I must give honor to whom honor is due. It was a Harfushes that first began teaching this. This is where I first began. It said, been born again, I don't know how many years. And it was them and their instruction. And I'm like, wait a minute. And then when I started really digging in, I'm like, what? What? I remember it. It was like um, yesterday. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of, you know, it was like yesterday. Young man, well, she's not young. He's probably closer <laughs> than I thought he was. But he comes into the store, and he went to get a present for his wife, you know. And he was looking at the reactor watches. And I said, well, you may be too young, you know, to remember this. And I was like, I've arrived. Yeah. I'm officially old." Uh, <laughs> It just happened right here. It worked. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so Romans 6, 6 through 12. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us, so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. Obviously. And if we were co-crucified with the Anointed One, we know that we will also share in the fullness of His life. And we know that since the Anointed One has been raised from the dead, to die no more, His resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over Him is finished. For by His sacrifice, He died to sin's power once and for all, but He now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead. And I love this word, unresponsive to sin's appeal. Unresponsive to sin's appeal. (sighs) While living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one, sin is, love this, a dethroned monarch. Not the butterfly, the king, right? He's a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live, and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. He became sin so we could become righteous. That's the whole idea. This is so powerful. And if Christians got this, we would see so much more power in the body of Christ. We'd see less defeat, less sickness, less sin, less attack, less uselessness, and on and on. Powerful marriages, powerful parenting, powerful business owners, We are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. It's that simple. But notice the responsibility in this passage. You must continually view yourselves. You must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal. Sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it opportunity. Okay, so here's the thing. Have you ever prayed for someone to be healed and they died? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does a word change? Uh -uh. Mm Uh-uh. Have you ever said that, you know, give uh, and you'll get a measure returned and then you gave and you never saw the measure? Have you ever prayed and a prayer was not answered? Did that change the word one bit? No. It's the same thing. If you have a momentarily icky poops situation, (laughs) right, does that change the fact that you're righteous? No. 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 You got to see it the same way. It's the same way. This is living in the it-is-finished faith, life, rest of God. This is, a reth, reth, this is the wrath
1: promised
0: <laughs> to us. But, but you have to think right. That's the helmet. That Romans 6 is a helmet. If you want to know what the helmet of salvation is, it's right there. In fact, in Ephesians 6, I would put Romans 6... Six through twelve is the helmet of salvation. Next to that verse, because that's exactly what he's describing. All right, I want you to see that the protection of your thinking, in your heart, is by knowing that you're righteous now, you're innocent now, and you're dead to sin. Now, in chapter five, solid food is for the mature. Uh, in um Hebrews, I'm sorry. So let's look at uh, verse fourteen and. Uh, Hebrews uh, 5. But solid food is for the mature, whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. And they have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between that which is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. Okay, adequately trained by what they've experienced. Oh, Oh, now it's the word, not experience. We don't live by sight, we live by faith. Okay, that is a truth, but the other reality is you're actually supposed to experience the word. It should become a reality in your life, not just a prophetic promise. So this is, uh, uh, and I did get into the child. The word child is a small child above the age of a helpless infant, but probably not more than about three or four years of age. Mature is an adult human being, but so much more. In the Greek, it's T-E-L-E-I-O-S, and it means finished. It is finished. The mature is finished. Isn't that interesting? That which has reached its end, term, limit, hence complete, full, wanting, and nothing. It's a Christian who is fully grown in mind and understanding and knowledge of the truth and Christian faith and virtue. It's a person who has attained moral maturity, namely, to be a man obedient in Christ. If you were to describe that to most Christians, they say there's no way you're going to reach that here on earth. Then why in the H-E double hockey sticks would he tell us that's what we're supposed to be, people? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like it's so frustrating. Well, and
1: Paul did not make a disclaimer here. No! (laughs) Like this is what you might do if you study 24 hours a day and... He didn't
0: say that. It's he, like yeah. Paul saying that this is what we're supposed to be, right? And he de- he's not fake news. He doesn't lie. He's saying, this is what we're supposed to be now. So, how do we arrive? That's what's important. A lot of people don't know how. You can present a picture, but it's like, well, how do I get there? How do I get from feeling defeated, that I'm still a sinner, that I'm still you know, powerless? How do I get to this place? Well, number one, it's belief. But... Here's what he says. By training your powers of discernment by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay? So, the word discernment is, quote, to have the capacity to perceive clearly and hence to understand the real nature of something. Huh! Interesting. To perceive clearly and hence to understand the real nature of something. I have said many times that the most missing attribute in the church is discernment right so the ability to understand the real nature of something I'm going to raise taxes first day in office I'm gonna stop I'm gonna revoke the permit to the Keystone pipeline
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. blah blah we're gonna vote for Biden well I can't believe that gas prices are now $2.89 and
1: this one's
0: is $3.39 and my husband just lost his job uh, here in New Mexico Uh, I can't believe that happened were you listening? He said what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing here where we have to discern the real nature of something, guys. It's not just our own spiritual walk. You've got to be able to discern leaders in your community. Are they real? Are, are, are they really for America? Are they really for me? No.
1: You
0: know, there's is this pastor actually teaching truth? You've got to begin to discern these things. And, and without it, we're like sheep led to the slaughter. And quite frankly, I have no sympathy whatsoever for anybody that's whining now over the state of this country. In fact, I hope it gets worse. I hope <laughs> the Democrats do so much that every person that voted for them, they'll have such a bad taste in their mouth that it will end the Democrat party forever. Mm-hmm. It'll either require them to get all the idiots out or it will do away with them forever is what I'm hoping will happen. Well, that's terrible. Well, sometimes you got to bend your kid over your knee and spank them, right? Mm-hmm. And I think right now we really deserve a good spanking. The church actually probably deserves more of a spanking than anybody. I heard a uh, teaching that said, that's what Revelation is about.
1: It Pierce. It, it, well, it, and it, he makes it so hard that even the hardest heart looks up and say, we're not going to make it through without God. Right? It's really a mercy mm-hmm. that and he allows that to get to that eventually point.
0: Eventually, we're going to get to the point, according to the book of Revelation, that God will be clearly, mm-hmm. and people will shake their fists in mm-hmm. his face. And so that's where our part right. comes in, and our nation must be saved. Now, the word trained, to get back to the word, which I just preached the word, actually, but a lot of people are like, and that's too political. Well, stop watching. I don't care. So the word trained is literally, quote, to control oneself through discipline, and, quote, is literally to make oneself obey, to command one's heart. In other words, where you're like, I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to. I really don't want to print out Good pictures of my scrapbook of scoundrel people. Oh, and I'm going to. I really don't want to pray for them, but I'm going to. Yeah, you know, that's mm-hmm. the thing. That is the discernment. You're trained. You understand. Wow, I can't keep hating these people. Therefore, God, I need a plan. Here's a plan. Okay, what are you doing? printing the worst pictures?
1: Nope. I don't want you to do
0: that. Right? That's what it is. It's whatever your battle is where you're wanting to do something else but you know you discern that's not the direction I'm supposed to go. So you train you command your soul to do what the spirit is saying. That is what it's talking about. You'll hang on to the table the everything in you. So you don't say what you want to say to that person. You know it's whatever it is.
1: That's all right.
0: It is hard, especially if you're a D. (laughs) Pat myself on the back for doing my scrapbook of scoundrels. Okay, I'm not done completely, but anyway. So, you command your heart. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God does that for you. He doesn't. He provides you the opportunity. You are to do that in Him. And then, they've practiced, right? They've trained. They've practiced. The word practice means doing it again and again, so that it becomes a habit. All habit is formed first in thought. It then becomes behavior, which then becomes action. It's a habit. So you have to make doing His will a habit. It also distinguishes the ability to evaluate and judge. It's build ability to act, uh, accurately evaluate and judge, it has to be sourced in your revelation of righteousness or you won't be able to discern correctly. So now we're back to you have to be pierced by the experience of righteousness because then your judgment skewed, okay? And then the word good is excellent in choice, but I want you to listen to a definition of evil because I thought it was poneros, uh, which is the, the normal one. It's not. It's kakos. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that word. kekos. Okay, K A okay. K O S. It means bad with the implication of harmful and damaging. So here's a shocking definition bad, worthless externally, or of a soldier who is cowardly. Bam. Okay, can I, does anybody have a non passion Bible like a, a King James or a New King James? Okay, so. Good grief. Never mind. I have it in here. (laughs) I'm ahead of myself. (laughs) Now, this is interesting. Okay, so let's read it with that. Here in the Passion. What are we reading? uh, The Evil. So, with the understanding of the difference between that which is truly excellent and that which is of a soldier cowardly. There's a lot of Republicans, by the way, that are cowards. Mm -hmm. absolutely. That's why we're in this mess in our country. They're cowards. So it's the same thing in the kingdom. Now, this blows my mind. So in the New Testament, evil, wicked, which is from the verb uh, chazo or chazomai, is to give back, receive, retire, or retreat in, in battle. So one who is evil in himself and as such gets others into trouble. In other words, because of a cowardly decision, everybody else suffers. That's why backing down from these people, it's never going to stop until we're like, no, we're tired of it. We're tired of you shutting down our churches. We're tired of you burning businesses. We're tired of you burning down cities. We're tired of the political correctness and you shaming people because they spoke their minds. We're tired of that. We're not going to back down. In the church, we're tired of you telling us that we can't know the word, that we're still sinners, that we're not righteous, that we can't be in ministry unless we've had 10 years of discipleship and 5 years of counseling and 7 years of school. We're tired of it. The power must go back to the people
1: and And the respect
0: of your individual call.
1: And that you're intolerant because you are fulfilling the word, and right. calling good, good, and calling evil, evil, good, all, then, oh, you're intolerant. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you want to know how masks work? Because they they, they played on the, the natural desire for people to look out for the other person. If people would have discerned that was not what was happening, you, you see what I mean? A lot of stuff wouldn't have happened. But Even President Trump, Trump shutting down the country was for the good of us. Mm-hmm. He got played. And that's just how it is. So you can't be cowardly for the good of another. When God tells you something, you go for it, and you have to discern. You have to discern what's better. So this is crazy. In the uh, Now Paul, you know, he's speaking to Jewish uh, believers who are being persecuted. Their life is on the line here, right? So he's telling them, hey, don't return to Judaism because you'll be shrinking back. Now, I'm not sure where this verse came um, from. Sometimes when I copy, it doesn't give me everything, but it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Again, being pierced with the revelation of righteousness makes you as bold as a lion. You walk back down. It doesn't matter. Now, this is the one I was going to read you in the New King James. I'm reading it in the English Standard Version, Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, very first thing, the faithless, the detestable, so he puts them together, cowardly, faithless, detestable. Okay, they're all one. Then he goes, as for the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Ooh. All that, he could have put murderers at the beginning. He could have put, you know, persecutors of Christians at the beginning. He could have done all that. No. The one word by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that John writes that will be first in the lake of fire are cowards. Because I think being a coward harms people more than anything else. Because when you have a leader leader that's a coward, the whole nation suffers. You know what I mean? You have people from China that come over and say, don't tell us what to do. You have no standing now. And you literally can't walk. You know what I mean? So all of this, it's a spiritual thing that we're seeing here. And we've had a lot of cowards taking us down a path that's almost destroyed this country. And there's still a potential that it could. So the cowardly go into the lake of fire first. The word coward means to fear, be timid, or fearful. Faithless are those who do not believe in Christ. But it's also the idea of being a traitor. And then fear will always make you a traitor. Always. You know, when you're on the battlefield, the reason you can get a death penalty for being a coward is when you're on the battlefield and you run, you've now put everybody in danger. Everybody. And so that's why, you know, court-martialed, you get the death penalty. It's the same thing. Read that definition of child again uh, from the passion that you gave us in Hebrews, I believe. Uh, I, I think it, it was unfit to bear arms. Uh, unfit to bear arms. It
1: was the greed for
0: it. Yeah, and so, so
1: being Mar- immature
0: is Mar- unfit Mar- to bear Mar- arms, Mar- and you're a coward. Yeah, and are trained over it.
1: When my husband was in the Marine in training, he and this other guy were having problems, the black eye, and the, um, the captain walked in and them, arguing and fighting. So he gave him the rifle, loaded it, put the banana in it, Throw them in a closet and close the door. It says, kill each
0: other. Well, that may have been back then. <laughs> yep. Today we've got me. all this political correctness, yeah. sensitivity crap. And well. they didn't hear nothing. they come not hear anything, and they opened the door, and Tony
1: said, I was ready to kill him. <laughs> Came up and my Benet ready, and he was on the corner on the bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, You go to the back, and you step in the front. Well, I think it's interesting because uh, the passion, it said cowardly here, and it also, the Aramaic can be translated fear mongers.
0: Fear mong- mongers. Huh. So not
1: only that they have fear themselves, but they... are spreading, spreading it among, among everybody else. But if, and if you're cowardly, you have no idea then about your
0: righteousness. Right. Because when you realize this, you won't be... Yeah, you're as bold as a lion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Fear will always make you a traitor because you will always seek self-preservation over others, including God. In summary, those who are mature have conquered fear. And because they no longer see things through fear, they're able to discern the excellent will of God. So, I mean, this to me, you know, again, it's just a powerful revelation. And next week, like I said, we'll kind of briefly go through the the beginning principles, you know, that the Lord wants us to know. But these people that he was writing to, they were in danger of losing their salvation. And the cowardly aspect is what was putting them in danger. And so when you have people like, you know, Pastor Cheon that has mi- over a million dollars in fines for having his church open in California. Mm-hmm. You've got that pizza shop person arrested because they refused to shut down. You know, this, this is the state our country is in. And we would do well to note it and to learn the original intent, just like the original intent of what the ecclesia is supposed to look like. Where you have, now you got to think about this. you got Peter, John. They all saw what the religious and political rulers did to the Lord. They knew it was a very real possibility the same thing was going to happen to them. They're in front of Caiaphas and Ananias. You know what I mean? These people are wicked to the core. And they're telling them, you better stop. There was no, you know, uh, conversation about it. They're letting them know, you better quit. And they're like, should we obey you over God? No, we will obey God. Then they go and pray. Why did God respond so powerfully to their prayer for boldness, to not back down? Because being a coward, right, as we see, it's just absolutely detestable to the Lord. And they're like, "We're not only going to stop, we want even more boldness. And then he answered with an earth, earthquake that shook the building. So that's what's, you know incredible. So if there's anything that you can overcome, it's fear, it's being cowardly. What was the first emotion that Adam and Eve felt? Mm-hmm. I was afraid. You see what I mean? So that's why it's so important to overcome those. If you can find a person that's fearless, that person is unstoppable. And that's why God is so intent on confronting fear. Okay? So anyway, I, I mean, we could probably do this message again next week and get as much out of it. But this to me is like a, a hallmark instruction to even pull out occasionally and just read and listen to it again and again because righteousness must pierce. And so, Father, we thank you so much that those that have been pierced by the revelation of righteousness, that we are righteous now, that, Father, we are as bold as a lion. We There's no fear. But, Father, the, the idea of how detestable cowardice is to you, I pray, Father, that this morning, right now, you imprint that in our spirit and our soul so strong that we will have a boldness to train our senses to discern What is the excellent will of God and what is a coward way out so much that we will choose the more excellent way. And Father, I pray that you help us view fear as sin because that's exactly what it is. According to Romans, it says anything not of faith is sin. The exact opposite of faith is fear. The very first emotion felt was fear and it caused a separation of relationship and presence uh, from the start. And so I pray, Father, that we will avoid cowardice like we avoid the plague. It'll be something unclean and distasteful to us. And Father, the word says that Jesus had more joy than any of uh, his companions because he hated unrighteousness and he loved righteousness. And yet he became sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. I pray that revelation cover our thinking cover our vital organs, make us insusceptible, unsusceptible to sin and to temptation. I pray, Father, it becomes such an experience for us that we become an example of those that maybe are still living in fear. Maybe they don't know they're no longer sinners. Maybe they don't know that they don't have to put up with the stuff that they put up with from the enemy. But instead, we will raise up mature believers who are fit to bear arms. And Father, we pray for this nation. I pray for discernment to return to the church. I mean, speaking of cowardly, Father, we have people that didn't like how someone talked to other people and yet they voted for a person who can't even form sentences, who, Father, has already raised the cost of living to a degree that many are suffering already. And, Father, I pray that we get a backbone, that we get some, some, some grit and, and realize that it may not always be flowers and butterflies and birds chirping, I mean, if we can't put up with someone that's a little bit blunt and straightforward, how the heck are we going to put up with real persecution, which is coming? And so, Father, I pray that Christians understand their identity, who they are, who you are, begin to rise up as an army they're supposed to be, They begin to take the cities, the counties, and the states that they're assigned to that believe you when you say who they are. And so, Father, this morning, ask kings and priests, seated in heavenly places with you. We want to give our tithes and offerings to you. We hand them over to you, not from a place of lack or a place of want, but as people that you have given the same position. We give them to honor you as our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I pray, Father, that you help us distribute your funds where they're supposed to go. We thank you so much for the ability to prosper and give this morning. We give you honor, we give you glory, and we give it to you as an act of worship.